All right, let's go. At the time, Merodach, Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. Am I in the right spot? Is everybody following us? Chapter 39. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. <clears throat> so you remember his last test of faith, his sickness? And now, now that he has recovered, he has a Babylonian big shot, um, you know, reaching out to him. Um, and Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. Ooh. And he showed them his treasure house. Uh-oh. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. This was uh, an episode of Cribs, uh, Hezekiah. <clears throat> there was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. All right, now, normally you don't want to judge people's motives because you can't read people's hearts. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24, it tells us what was going on in Hezekiah's heart. So we don't need to um, exercise our judgment. God tells us that he was filled with pride. That's right, filled with pride. And uh, can you all understand why? you got this uh, Babylonian king, you know, with envoys. Very, very important people, very powerful people. And they, um, they're coming to town. And Hezekiah, well, he's showing off, right? He's showing off. And um, this is what we might call the test of fame, the test of fame. And um, I don't know, none of us have ever had that test, I don't think. Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, maybe we, and, and thank God, honestly, thank God. But uh, the test of fame, the test of making it big, you know, making it to the big time. And um, that that is something that... Maybe some of us will have to experience, and um, it, it is something that if you do experience, will, will reveal the pride in your own heart, if there happens to be pride, right? And of course, Hezekiah fails this test, and his pride is revealed. And so, let me just point this out, just as an application. Uh, fame is not um, you know, inherently bad, but fame like power or, or money um, and it can be used for good, but it is also comes with a, a major test, right? And um, I would just, I would recommend, especially for you young people, that fame should not be one of your goals in life, right? A lot of young people, um, they want to be famous, right? And of course, they're on television, and uh, all the shows on television and everything on YouTube is all about um, becoming famous, becoming known by the mobs and receiving all the likes. What do you call it when you get famous these days? Going viral. Yeah, going viral. Don't make that your goal in life, all right? What should be your goal in life? To be faithful to the calling that God has actually given you. Not to live your life delusionally um, pursuing some fantasy, because you think that that will fulfill you or you think that that will uh, finally complete you or make you a somebody or prove your worthiness. Don't live your life chasing a fantasy. Um, instead, look for a need around you that you can meet and get really good at meeting that need so good that people are willing to pay you money for it. Make sense? That way you can be serving your community, producing fruit, and living like a mature Christian does. Amen? 
Any thoughts or questions on that? And if in the process of serving your community by meeting actual needs and getting really good at that, so much so that people notice it and you happen to become famous, right? That's okay. That's okay. But that shouldn't be your main objection, your main objective. Don't go and position yourself at the head of the table. If God wants to move you up and make you the head of the table, that's fine. But you make yourself the foot of the table serving your community and and let the uh, results up to God. Same thing with money, though, right? The goal shouldn't be ultimately money. What is the goal? To obey your calling faithfully, which is another way of saying meeting the needs that God made you to meet. You're like a key. God designed you to open some doors. Open those doors in your community. Meet those particular needs. Get really good at it so that you can make a living doing it as well. But don't make money your main objective. Right? Make your calling and obedience to Jesus your main objective. And, uh, and if, if you're doing your calling, he will make sure that you are cared for and provided for. Amen? <laughs> uh, fame, by the way, also is, is especially danger, dangerous for pastors. Um, you very rarely see pastors um, respond well to fame. Usually famous pastors end up um, basically ruining their testimony and shaming all of the, the church of Christ. And I think the devil actually makes pastors famous so that he can humiliate them publicly and shame the name of Christ and shame all the people that they know. So um, for any pastors that happen to be listening to this, you know, all one or two, or maybe a pastor in a hundred years from now is listening to this, and if fame is being offered to you, you better watch yourself because you're going through the test that Hezekiah is going through. The big shots are coming to town, and, you th- and you're going to show them all you got. Look at my gold. Look at all this. I'm a somebody. I'm a big shot. And um, he failed the test. Let's look at verse 3. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? So God sent Isaiah to Hezekiah. And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon, from Hollywood. Ooh, you know, the, the record, uh, they got a record deal for me. They're going to make me a star, an American idol. All I have to do is give them my soul. <laughs> Wait, what? He's, he said, uh, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. <clears throat> there is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. <clears throat> then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, <clears throat> hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house <clears throat> and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. All right, so now what is the house of Hezekiah? What is that? Well, it's the palace, right? It's the palace. And who are the fathers of Hezekiah that have stored up all these treasures? Well, it's all the kings that, that come from the lineage of David. They're the Davidic kings. And they've stored up a lot of blessings and a lot of prosperity. And God has been good to them over the years. And Hezekiah has been faithful too, generally. He, obviously, he has his weaknesses. We're seeing them right now. And, um, but all of that, God says, the palace and everything that's in the palace. And we know from other scriptures, everything that's in the temple and the whole temple is all going to be carried to Babylon in, um, in the exile. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So his lineage, his, uh, his future will be cut off 
not all of his sons because the Davidic promise, but some of his sons will become eunuchs, which uh, I think y'all know what that is, but slaves essentially in, in Babylon and in the palace of Babylon. And why is this judgment going to happen? Because of his pride. Pride comes before the fall. That's the judgment. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Now, he doesn't mean that he's happy about this, but what this is basically meaning is that Hezekiah is repenting. He recognizes, and we, and we have other parallel passages in Chronicles and other places that talk about this, so that's how we know these things. But he's repenting, he confesses his pride, and he is willing to uh, um, take his spanking from the Lord. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. And then it says his mental thoughts, which seems really negative. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Right? Um, Sounds bad. Doesn't doesn't that sound bad to y'all? It's like, um, now, it's an ambiguous phrase, and no one is exactly sure what that means, right? But it sounds like he's saying, you know, at least it's not going to get bad immediately. It's going to be bad for the next generation when I'm dead. Okay. Which is, is definitely not how we should think, right? Um, that is how our, our, um, our government thinks right now and our government officials who clearly hate us and hate our children and who are clearly demonized. Um, because they are, lever- they, are, they are getting into so much debt that, I mean, ha- the, there's almost no uh, option but for the next generation and the next generation to be slaves. There's just simply no other options because of the national debt. And anyone that would just get in that much debt with other people's money, how would you describe them? They're totally, they're absolutely demonized. Now, obviously, we don't believe the devil is um, in control of, of the future. We believe God is. And I'm going to show you in a little while, while that's, a, that's a judgment from God. And so, but we just need to do as, as best we can as a church to repent, right? And, and pray and ask God that he would um, bless us as a little island of, of peace and reprieve amidst um, economic collapse and debt and... Um, future enslavement, right? Makes sense, but we have a lot of people out there. I mean, there used to be a bumper sticker. It was something like, it was like, uh, I'm spending my grandchildren's inheritance. Have you ever heard of that bumper sticker? They put it on, like, on fancy rich cars. That's, I don't know if that's, I don't want to meet Hezekiah in heaven, and he's like, hey, man, you really, (laughs) that was really, you really just threw me under the bus there. I don't know. It's ambiguous, but if Hezekiah is saying that, Thank, thank God it's not going to be now. It's just going to be in the future. That's absolutely terrible. He's not concerned about covenant succession at all. Hopefully, he began to make plans. I don't know. Hopefully, he began to make plans. So Hezekiah, he leads revivals. He uh, tore down the, the, uh, the high places, which are basically the, uh, the Satan statues that they put up in various town halls and in uh, courtrooms all over their country. He tore those down. He beheaded all the Satan statues. Uh, he got rid of all of those. And... Um, and he uh, defunded all of the priests of Baal, and, and he led revivals all over the land. But he would seem to be a really bad dad, seemed to be a really bad dad. His son, Manasseh, is going to be one of the most evil kings that Israel has ever had. And his grandson was evil, too. 
So you see this a little bit in the Old Testament. You see um, good kings with great careers, you know, completely losing it on the family front. And, of course, that's largely due to polygamy, which God forbid, and they were just following the customs of the day. But, um, but it's something we have to make sure in our mind that we're not really good at our job and terrible with the thing that matters the most, our covenant succession and our lineage. Make sense? We don't, we don't want things to just be good in our day, rich and prosperous and filled with debt and living large, and then our kids, our kids suffer for that. Make sense? So let's not spend our grandchildren's inheritance. Amen? All right, now let's move on to chapter 40. <coughs> chapter 40 begins a new section of Isaiah. The first uh, por- portion of Isaiah was all about, remember what it was all about? Doom and gloom and judgment. Now, compared to the first half of Isaiah, the second half is going to be very comforting and um, and blessings for the remnant. Now, there's still a little bit of doom and gloom, but it's a, a section of comfort, and it's not a, a time where Isaiah is, is being called to prophesy doom and gloom, all right? It's also one just a historical context. The last portion of Isaiah is written. So Isaiah is getting older, probably, and he's writing these prophecies. So they're a little easier to follow. Um, the prophecies in the first half of the book are, are sermons that have been you know, collected and collated. They're like his prophetic sermons. And, but now these are prophecies that he wrote out. And so it seems like later in his life, at the end of his age, he wrote out these comforting promises and comforting prophecies for the remnant. And seeing that Hezekiah and all of his descendants and everything is going to Babylon, who's Isaiah writing for? He's, he's writing for the people that come back from Babylon. He's writing for the people that are going to be in Babylon. He's writing for the future generations to let them know there's still going to be hope. Because if, if Hezekiah's descendants are all going to be eunuchs and everything's going to be taken, what's the question that comes to mind? What about the promises? What about the Messiah? What about the Davidic king that rules over the whole world? What about all of that? And so that's what these prophecies come in. They come in to say, have no fear, God is going to be faithful. All right, verse, verse 1 of chapter 40. It's the prologue. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. See, he's, he's, uh, now it's comfort, less doom and gloom. And cry to her that her warfare is ended, meaning God is finally done judging. He's finally done punishing her for her sins. And that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the punishment is over with. So have comfort. And it's important to remember if you, are, uh, if you have a prophetic ministry, not all prophetic ministries have to always be doom and gloom. Uh, You've got to have judgment and comfort, right? Law and gospel, etc. Um, <clears throat> verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, sound familiar? Who knows who said that? Who said these passages here? Yeah, Handel's Messiah, that's right. John the Baptist, right? So everything that Isaiah is saying from this point forward is our messianic prophecies. 
their messianic prophecies for the people that are in Babylon and when they return from Babylon, um, Jesus is going to come, basically. Prepare the way, right? And this is what John the Baptist even said. So what does it mean to prepare the way? What do you think? So if it's low, you have to bring it up. If you have to, you know, fill in the ruts, right, Ben? If it's big, nasty rut, you make it smooth, right? And if it's a... <laughs> right, low blow, sorry. <laughs> and if it's a, a high, you know, mountain, um, you have to flatten it. If it's rough, you have to sand it and make it smooth. You, he's, it's, it's the picture of an of a ancient oriental king coming to town. And you all remember when uh, the Chinese... Uh, communist president came to California and Governor Mussolini, he like cleaned up the place. Did y'all hear that? Well, so from what, I, what I've told, and Sam, you went to San Francisco recently. It's kind of dirty. Huh? A, lot of, a lot of, I don't know, but I hear there's a lot of homeless people everywhere and people just going to the bathroom on the street and stuff. And Okay, good. A lot of trash and well, the word on the street is that when the Chinese emperor when, or the president or whatever they call him, dictator, when he came to California, Governor Mussolini, he cleaned up everything for him. He prepared the way. He prepared the way for his Messiah. That's right. And that's exactly what we have to do for Jesus. You have to prepare the way. But it's a metaphor, right? What is it a metaphor for? What do you think? What was John the Baptist's ministry? Prepare you the way. Prepare you the way. He came preaching repentance exactly that's what it means he came preaching repentance how do you prepare the way for revival how do you prepare the way for jesus to come to your church and to um, breathe new life into your church and and no longer be punishing you for your sins and judging you for your iniquities and letting the babylonians take all your stuff how do you how do you get the lord to come and save you you have to repent you have to repent and that's so that message is for us today i think in the united states um, we're going to continue to have the Babylonians, so to speak, um, take all of our things and steal all of our stuff and turn our children into eunuchs, which they're literally doing now. Um, <clears throat> that's going to continue to happen if and, if and until we repent and prepare the way for, for Jesus. And then, of course, John baptized people as a symbol of that repentance. And um, just as a side note, John the Baptist's baptism is not like our baptism. So it was an Old Testament administration. It was not um, what we do. We're not, we're not baptizing people that are already in the church. Right? He, was, he was baptizing people that were already in the church. You understand what I'm saying? All right, that's a side note. If, however, we as a church apostatized, right, and we all left the faith and we're acting like degenerates and we wanted to have some, we wanted to repent, like, that's, that would be more of a, um, a situation that was going on for John. It was a ceremonial washing. Yeah, that's good. We might have some, you know, church-wide function where we all symbolically demonstrate our repentance by, I don't know, washing our hands or something like that. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> all right, let's move on um, to verse 6. Are y'all with me? I, I'm like losing my breath tonight. I don't have as much breath. I need my my inhaler. Give me. I need this a steroid shot. Emily's got it for me. Um, what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to go through 
Um, the blessings, I'm going to go through a few blessings. I want you to see when the Messiah comes, if you prepare the way for the Messiah, if you repent as a nation, you can re- expect these blessings. That's what he's going to go through. So look at verse 6. All right. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So he's looking out over the future, and he's giving hope to the remnant. And he says, people are like grass. All I got to do is blow on them, and they wither away. But what I say and what I decree will always stand forever. Okay? So you have now basically a, a philosophy of history. A lot of Christians don't have a philosophy of history or their philosophy of history is like a, a pagan one and they think things are just circular. But this is, gives you a perfect philosophy of history. If you look out over history and you realize that everything is grass and whatever God says blows down, it blows down and withers away and goes away. And whatever he says stands, stands. And that's, and that's the meaning of history. So if you are Babylon and you are against Jesus... What, do you, what can you expect is going to happen to you? Chaff. Um, what is the, the philosophers uh, um, known as Kansas? You know, the philosophical club? Just dust in the wind. That's right. Dust in the wind. But if you uh, stand on the promises of God and you have faith in God and you are God's people, remember what does he say? Comfort, comfort, my people, my people. If you're his people, then you can know the future is bright for you and that you will stand and your labors are not in vain. And is that, it's good for us to know because when you think about it, when you think of the national situation that we're in, it looks like the powers that be are going to stand forever and that they're going to squeeze out the church and the church is going to be um, dust in the wind, right? But the Bible says, no, 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 that's not how it's going to work. Um, and, and that's what's happening now. Persecution is at all-time high. It's, there's more persecution now than there's ever been in the history of the world. And uh, I've actually had someone leave the church, and they, they said, one of the things they said was, I didn't like that you kept saying that. And so I keep saying it over and over again because it is absolutely true. It is objectively true. It is, it is true by any standard you want to measure. Uh, there is more persecution right now in the world than at any other point in human history. Um, tens and tens of thousands of Christians are being persecuted right now in the world, uh, especially in places like Indonesia and Nigeria and they're mostly being persecuted by um, demonic Muslim states. Uh, and, and Islam has always been a, a very evil, um, violent religion that kills Christians. It's how it's always been. It was founded by a violent person who had a vision from a demon. And it has always done that. It has always converted people with the sword and specifically Christians. There is a kind of a, a secular version of Islam that's been secularized and pacified and is a peaceful religion, but Islam is not peaceful, not in the slightest, right? And they are right now killing tens of thousands of Christians all over the world. And, um, and it's not hard to find that. We have the internet. You can find these things very easily. Um, but also communists are killing Christians all over the world. And secularists, um, like, our own, like our own government, are killing Christians and persecuting Christians all over the world. 
Um, when, uh, when President Joe Biden took, took over office, all of the aid to persecuted Christians all over the world was immediately stopped. And, and President Trump is not like a, um, an angel, obviously, but in, during his administration, there was uh, aid going out to persecuted Christians around the world, which we should be sending aid to persecuted Christians, right? We're, we're a Christian nation. We should be helping Christians, and we should not be helping evil people. Right. Uh, and uh, as soon as President Biden took over, he stopped all of that, all of that funding. And um, and I'm sure doubled down on the helping of the evil people. Right. <coughs> so I'm calling. Yeah, I am. I would like to send a letter to President Joe Biden. Um, not only the chief of police of Opelousas, but I would like to ask President Joe Biden to resign. He is not fit for office. I think everybody knows that. All right. <coughs> Um, but the reason I say all that is it looks, I mean, it's, what's going to stand? How can CCA last forever? How can we last forever? We seem like grass, which is going to fade. And, and they seem powerful. They fly in their jets and they, and they have big conventions in Davos and talk about how humans don't have rights and you will eat the bugs. And they're planning things. They got some, y'all know, y'all don't watch the news, but I'm letting, some of y'all do. I'm letting you know what's going on out there, okay? You will eat the bugs, and you will not own anything, and you will be happy, right? And we're down here just trying to, just day by day, just trying to keep up with inflation, right? And it seems like we're fading grass, but we're not fading grass, I promise you. God has a way of turning things uh, around when you least expect it, and he has a way of making something out of nothing. Uh, and that just gives me hope. Like, even if you can't see it, you should have hope because all he has to do is, and they are withered grass. And what he decrees with his word, which is his church, his bride, will stand forever. Amen? And that's why I'm a, I, I have a positive eschatology, by the way, because the algorithm is rigged, if you will. All the bad stuff is getting withered. All the good stuff is standing forever. So when I look out into the future, that's why I think it's going to, get better. It's just a simple deduction. All right, moving on, verse 11. Another promise is shepherding. Verse 11, one of my favorite passages to use when we baptize babies around here. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, right? Jesus is our shepherd, right? Psalm 23, we've been going through that. So that's one of the new covenant promises, new covenant promises. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, right? Does Jesus love the rams? Yes. Does he love the ewes? That's the boys and girl sheep, right? But what if a ram and a ewe have a lamb? Does he love the lambs? No, 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 no. <laughs> I've, I have been a shepherd, an amateur hobby shepherd. And lambing season is the, is the best thing in the world. When, those, when they start having lambs, it is so cool. Um, right? Remember that? My, my, that's the, one of the greatest things in the world. I don't take those little lambs and put them outside of the fence and wait for them to make a decision, right? <laughs> I don't want to violate your autonomous free will. No. They're in my flock, and unless they, you know, bust out and, uh, and, and hate me and run off, they're in my flock. They're mine. 
They're in the flock. They're in the flock. And this is one of the proof texts. This is why I believe in infant baptism, by the way. Not just this verse, but this concept. Look at it. He will gather not just the rams and the ewes, but he will gather the lambs in his arms. Right? He will carry them in his bosom. He loves not just the rams and the ewes. He loves the lambs. You have the children of believers have a special place in the heart of the shepherd. I'm not saying you're automatically a Christian, you know, born again. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm just saying there's a, you have a special status. And he will gently lead those who are with young. Amen. So that's one of the promises of the new covenant. Let's go down to verse 17. Another new covenant promise. Verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Right. What, is that? what is that a promise of? Are y'all following me? Some of y'all are not listening when I read the verses. Huh? Oh, I'm in the wrong verse. 41? 41.17. Oh, sorry. I jumped way ahead. I was trying to get one over on y'all. <laughs> You were listening. You're just confused. All right. Okay. Well, good. Jump down to 41.17. Look at it. When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Provision for the poor. Right? Economic stability. Social flourishing. Right? We'll talk more about this, but you want to know why the West is so rich it's because jesus has been blessing us for a very long time because we were a christian civilization you want to know why the west will not be rich in the future because we are apostatizing exactly that's and you want to know why um, other places will be rich because they are turning to the lord it seems to me that other places are turning to the lord and uh and maybe when I'm really, really old, me and my kids will get on an airplane and find one of those places. I don't know, but um, do I? Hungry, may hungry seem to, hungry seems to be like turning to the Lord in droves. It could be China. I'm, I don't know if I'm, we're ready to go there yet, but could be. A lot of Chinese Christians being persecuted. I'm with Pastor Scott. Oh, where's all of our wealth going? And who are the hard who are the hardworking people in this world? Hardworking people, wealth is being transferred, Christians being persecuted. They say now you you become a Christian more likely become a Christian if you're born in Beijing than Boston now. Future is bright for other parts of the world, but I th- I'm I'm hoping by by God's grace that Louisiana, or at least Acadiana, can be a, a little island of Christendom. Man, let's 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 go for it. All right, we'll go for it. Um, <clears throat> this is where we've staked our, our flag, at least. Let's see. Verse 18, I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. What do we have here now? Now we have not only economic flourishing and societal blessings, now we have man-made climate change climate change that's right we have environmental blessings do you believe in man-made climate change 
Absolutely, you should, because when we live in sin, God curses the land. And when we repent and we follow God, he blesses the land. It's just one of the the blessings of the covenant. And I'm going to show you all of this in a second. I'm going to prove my point, even though I've I've shown many of you all this over and over again. Um, Moving on, verse 20. What is the goal of all of this? Why would God prosper people that are following him? That Verse 20, that they may see and know. Am I in the right place? May consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Right? I can remember, um, I think it was, it was, might have been uh, Arvin or it might have been um, Eric. And one of the questions they were asking is, why are they so rich in, in America and, and so poor in all these other places? And he's like, there must be something over there. And I, re- I remember, I think it was Arvin, he told me, he's like, maybe they have a different math. Like, or maybe there's, they have some kind of different, they know some stuff that we don't know or they have some different. And, but then when he came over here, he realized, no, they have the same math as us. Like, why, why are they so prosperous and we're not prosperous when they, we know the same things? And it's because of the blessings of the Lord. That's really what it is. And, and that's attractive, though. It's attractive. And, and our community, think about our community. You know, we, we complain, right? We complain a little bit. And we have our bad moments. But, but you've got to admit, we're, uh, we're blessed, aren't we? It's really cool to have a lot of friends. And when you have a need to be able to shoot a text and 150 people be able to see that right and, and we have a community to worship and we and we generally uh think alike right and and we we can trust our, you know our kids with one another and we can we i mean we're stinking blessed we really are blessed and and there have been people that that come into our church um because they see that and it's attractive and that's the way it's supposed to be so let's not blow it. Amen. Let's not do like Hezekiah and be and be uh, become proud. Right. Because then you lose it. Then you lose it. Um, Deuteronomy chapter four, verse five. Now I'm switching to Deuteronomy. So <laughs> here's the basis. All right. So just a quick review. Blessings and cursings. Right. It's part of a covenant. But what are, the st- what are the terms and the conditions? How do you, what do you do to get the blessings and what do you do to get the cursings? Well, it's obedience, right? Faith, not, obedient, not legalistic fake obedience, but true obedience from the heart out of love. And, but what are you obeying? Obey what? What are the terms and the stipulations of this covenant? It's the law of God. Exactly, it's the law of God. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules. That's the Ten Commandments and the case laws, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Amen. So as, our, as any nation, what does the Bible say? Righteousness exalts a nation. 
right? What is righteousness? It is a life lived according to the righteous standards of God's law. And a nation that lives in faithful obedience to King Jesus and his law will be blessed, will be blessed. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is coming down here and, and direct, literally planting cedars in the uh, desert. But he, but he is, that's a metaphor, obviously. But when man follows his law, the environment is blessed. The economy is blessed. And, and there's a reason why Israel is now a desert. And it used to be, remember what they called it? The land of milk and honey. And then it wasn't just milk and honey. Milk, milk and honey is, uh, is, uh, is um, flocks and herds language. It eventually, they're bringing giant clusters of grapes. Remember, the, the grape clusters were so big, two men had to carry them on sticks, right? When you go to Israel now, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like a wasteland, like a desert wasteland. I've seen pictures of it, right? The Garden of Eden, they say, and uh, there's very good evidence that the Garden of Eden was um, in, the, in sort of the southern portion of Saudi Arabia, where the Tigris and the Euphrates... Um, come together, and then the Pishon River and the Gion, Gion, if I remember correctly, and archaeologists speculate as to where, where the Garden of Eden was, and if you go there now, it is a desert. I mean, it is dry as a bone. Sin, sin does that. Man, man's revolution against God leads to man-made climate change. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully we will repent and our nation can continue to be prosperous, but it doesn't look like it right now. Let's move on to uh, chapter 42, verse 1. Who's going to accomplish all this? Like, is it, am I just describing the natural laws of the universe? Like, it just, it happens like a, uh, like a machine. You obey and the, fo- and, be, and the force, like, blesses you, karma. Is that what I'm describing? The invisible hand of the markets? No, no, no. What am I describing? I'm describing a personal being, Jesus, who's ruling over all things, and he rules according to his covenant. And the stipulations of the covenant are, obey my law and be blessed, disobey my law and be cursed. Very simple. Uh, 42 verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Now, where is that quoted in the New Testament? Anyone? That's right. It's at the baptism of Jesus. That's right. When he is anointed by the Spirit of God. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That's right. And then chapter 42 goes on to describe the Messiah. It is the Messiah who will administrate. That's the word we use from which the word minister comes from. He is a minister of the covenant to administrate the terms of the covenant. Right? This, is, this is what I believe the worldview of the Bible teaches. This is also another reason why I have a positive eschatology, because I believe Jesus is administrating the terms of the covenant in a predictable manner, that the righteous are being blessed and the evil are being cursed. Right? And he says, I'll, I'll bless the righteous to a thousand generations, and I'll curse the wicked to three or four generations. And that's human history, Jesus Christ administrating the terms of his, of his covenant relationship. And when, when you were first a Christian and you used to stay, I'm not in a religion, I'm in a relationship. It's very true. You are in a relationship. But that's the, re- that's the relationship you're in, a covenantal relationship with terms and stipulations and blessings and cursings. 
Y'all already know all this, though, right? For the most part. It's a little review. Let's see what else he's going to do. We've got nine more minutes. Verse 4. He will bring justice. 42.4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. So what is Jesus up to? Establishing justice. Over what, how much of the earth? The coastlands are waiting, all, the, all of it, that's right. And by what standard is he judging? His law, exactly. Should, is the law for non-Christians? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, right? Should pornography be illegal? Yes, obviously, right here, pornography should be illegal. But if you make pornography illegal, it may not work. You know, people are going to still do it secretly. Does that matter? No. No, yeah, they might still do it secretly, but it's good for perverts to be in the closet. That's what you want. You want perverts in the closet, not out in the public square dressing up like female prostitutes and reading books to kids. You want them it to be illegal so that they get in the closet, right, and don't affect society as much. It seems like a duh, yeah. Anyway, verse 7, here's another promise. To open the eyes that are blind, what else will Jesus be doing? Giving bl- blind people sight. Many of us are already receiving the benefits. Most of us, as I look around, this is quite a four-eye group around here. Uh, <laughs> most of us are, are able to see what many years ago we would not be able to see. What else, and the, of course, he, this is also figurative. He's giving people uh, spiritual eyes to see as well, right? Um, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. That's right, he's setting slaves free from the prison those who sit in darkness that's both literally and figuratively true and there's a warning with prosperity back to deuteronomy because i'm going back to the covenantal paperwork you know that i'm going back to the actual covenant documents so i can go uh, to show you but deuteronomy 8:17 it's the there's a warning beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth right if you start thinking that Oh, we did this. I did this. I built this. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Like Whatever blessings we have here at Christ Church, we did not do it. Amen? Whatever wealth you have in your, uh, in your house and the, and, the, and the benefits and the blessings that you have, you didn't do it. Jesus did it, and, he, and he's blessing you as his child. Um, and the reason he does it, he gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Because he promised you in the, in the covenant that he would bless you if you would be faithful and obey him. He's, keeping his, he's just keeping his word. He keeps his word. Amen? He's being faithful. Now, he promised it to the fathers, so what does it have to do with you? You're grafted in to the household of, of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're grafted in. And covenantal blessings always flow down through the generations. It's called covenantal succession. That's why your son, when he was born in your house, what's his last name? Your name. Because he's born in your house. And, and who gets all your property? He gets it all. And whatever promises God makes to you, he, he makes it to your children. That's another reason why I believe in infant baptism. It's because of the concept of covenantal succession. He promised it to Abraham and all of Abraham's children get it if you're grafted in to Abraham. But if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, 
and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. So what's going to happen to the United States if we (coughs) continue to set up Satan statues? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, All right, so just a few closing comments. Look at, if you would, Isaiah 42, verse 24, okay? And, and if you didn't follow too much today, follow this, okay? This, I think, is the most important thing. Notice this. It's a question. I want you to answer it. Who gave up Jacob to the looter? Jacob is another name for Israel. Who gave them up to the looter, to the tax man, to the IRS? God did. That's right. And who gave up Israel to the plunderers? God did. That's right. He's still doing it to this day. Now, uh, based on everything you've learned, why did he do it? Because they weren't being faithful to the covenant. And those are the terms of the covenant. You can read them in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. He says, if you're not faithful and you don't obey the law, I'm going to send plunderers. I'm going to send pestilence. I'm going to send a tax man. You're not going to get to keep all your income. You're going to plant vineyards and other people are going to eat them. But if you're faithful, you'll plant vineyards and your children will be able to eat from them. That's part of the terms of the covenant. Yeah, he, he does. He knew that was going to happen. And fortunately, some, fortunately, there was a remnant. Yeah. Um, okay, so God did it. Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? Now, just real quick in this context, why is he called a Lord? This is, a, this is a, something you probably have not thought of. Um, if go back to medieval England. What was a Lord? Is a landowner, is a feudal lord, a federal lord. Feudal, federal, which is the, from the Latin, what we call covenant. It's a covenantal lord. He owns, a big, he owns all the land, and he has the big castle. And you, and you are um, a, a peasant, or a, you're his you know, servant, and you have his last name. A lot of people, there's a reason why um, slaves have the last name of their master. It goes back to feudalism. You had the last name of your Lord, right? Um, the Lord has the household, and he owns all the property, and you work for him. Now, our Lord is a loving Lord so that he actually gives us a seat at the table, like King Arthur, Lord Arthur, and the Knights of the Round Table. You get to have a seat because you have a job to do. You're not just a slave. You're a friend. You're, you are a co-laborer, and you're a co-heir. So you, kinda, you get quite a bit of promotion as a Christian, Right? Right? But he's a lord, and the terms of the agreement is when the enemies come, what do all the peasants do? They run into the castle. Who does all the fighting? If you know anything about medieval history, it's the noblemen, it's the lords that had put on the armor and they went out to war for their people. With their, and they had a standard that represented their people, and you were under those colors, you had that uniform. That's the, that feudal covenantal concept is completely lost today because we live in a nation state which uh, emerged uh, Napoleon afterward where the feudal lords were being stripped of everything they had. The kingdoms were being torn down. Christendom was being ruined. And instead, this new concept of a massive state, a centralized state power, um, you know, starting with Napoleon onward, began to take over the whole Western world. So we don't think of ourselves... We don't understand ourselves that way. We're just citizens of a nation state. 
But every other human since in, the Christ, in Christianity's past, they were, they were a part of a household of the Lord, right? And uh, so he's the Lord, and he has this, this covenant with his household, and he blesses his people. And you're, you're a part of that household. Isn't that cool? That's what the word Lord means. And he was the Lord of all, all over all the lords. But he says this. He says, um, against whom we have sinned, right? That was the Lord that did that to you. In whose ways they would not walk and whose law they would not obey. Why, was he, why did he turn them over to the tax men? Because they wouldn't obey his law, okay? So look at verse 25. This is what I really want you to see. So he poured on him the heat of his anger. He judged him, set him on fire all around. He's setting Jacob on fire. He punished Jacob. But look, but what did Jacob do? But Jacob, Israel, the people of God, did not understand, right? They don't get it. What the heck's happening around here? Why is everything going to hell in a handbasket? Didn't know. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. See, and that's exactly what is going on with American Christianity. We have a Lord, and our nation has a Lord, and there is a covenant, and there are terms, and, and things are going to crap right now. And, and everyone's like, what's going on around here? Must be the Democrats, you know? Must be the Republicans. Nobody gets it. Nobody knows what's happening. It is the Lord striking us. It's the Lord striking us. It's very clear. And no, one, and no one takes it to heart. What would it mean to take it to heart? You would repent. But no one's taken it to heart. You want to know why, I think? They're not taking it to heart because they don't even know that it's a thing. Like the Bible is lost. It's, it's buried in some ruins in some megachurch green room, Right? And that's why, that's why the church doesn't even know about it. They don't know their terms. They don't know there's any of this stuff. And um, so that's why, I, that's why I think the invasion on the southern border, it's just part, of, it's God's judgment on us. It's going to keep coming. And not only are they, not only, this is me, this is my opinion, because pastors are not just teachers. Pastors are also watchmen. We're supposed to watch to help protect the sheep. I think they want to continue to flood our country with people not of Christendom, not in the same way. They want to flood people with socialistic worldviews into our country. And they want to start major wars so that your sons go die in them. That's what, exactly what I think. The sons of the American church will become eunuchs in the house of Babylon. That's what's going to happen. And the Babylonians are going to strip everything and run everything. I believe that's what's going to happen, metaphorically, obviously. And I think the national debt will continue to impoverish us. And I think our rulers are demonized, and they really do hate us, and they want to uh, kill you. And so um, we, we ha you have to be, maybe I'm a crazy person. Maybe I'm being crazy. You know, the Wednesday night group is a little extra crazy anyway, but I'm just, I'm just saying as a dad, and, and you got to have a plan for your kids. Set your house in order, right? Remember, that's what he told Hezekiah. Get your house in order. Get your head screwed on straight. And, uh, and, and let's, you know, be like the sons of Issachar. Do you know what they were known for? They knew what time it was. Need to know what time it is. 
Jesus told um, the Pharisees, he said, you can tell, you can read the weather. You know what it's gonna, if it's going to rain tomorrow or if it's going to be not rain tomorrow. And you can't even tell that the Son of God is right in front of your face. Like, we need to be the kind of people that know what's up and know what time it is and behave properly. Make sense? All right, y'all have a good evening.